Because, you see, we have a lack of perspective. We, ha we have a hard time seeing God's truth because of the distortion of sin. See, sin does two things to our perspective on that which God does. One, sin magnifies self. We live in a selfie world, don't we? Now, some of you of an older generation who don't even own a cell phone probably have no clue what I'm talking about, but those of you who do own one of those devices know exactly what I'm talking about. We live in a selfie world. I won't tell you who was all involved because I don't want to get anybody here in trouble. But last week, Saturday, we were at one of the most beautiful spots we've ever gone to in Costa Rica. We were at a volcano site. And it was absolutely stunning. It was breathtaking. Being up there, looking out, seeing everything that was there, looking down into the crater, seeing this aqua blue water down at the bottom, all the various color stones. Do you know how many people are standing there doing this? Here's their phone. They're taking a picture of themselves with that all as the background. You see the perspective problem? Here is all this beauty. But what takes the forefront? Self. Here is all that God does, but what's always in the forefront of the picture? Self. We magnify self. So when it comes to the question of the Lord allows the righteous to suffer because he loves them, people are going, wait a minute. I got more rights than that. It's not right that God treats me in this way. They're living in the selfie world where it's all about them and not about the beauty of the vista that's before you or the beauty of a volcano, the power of the volcano. It's all about self. Sin distorts God's truth and God's beauty. The second thing that sin does is it distorts God's truth because we, as mankind, have no depth to our thinking. We are one-dimensional creatures, by and large. We live life on this horizontal plane Without understanding, there is a spiritual realm and a spiritual dynamic at work. And even though we confess that truth as Christians, and even though we believe that truth as Christians, we oftentimes don't live that truth. We live in a horizontal world as if the spiritual dimension of life did not exist. So the physical world 
becomes more important to us than the spiritual dynamics that are at work in this world. Whereas the reality of life from God's perspective is that it is the spiritual dynamic that is of utmost importance and the physical dynamic is of secondary importance. That's why God can allow suffering for the purpose of drawing us closer to him. But we have hard time seeing that. We have a difficulty in that perspective. You know what's the last thing that Job said before Elihu began to speak? If you go back to Job chapter 31, I should preface it and say, one of the last things that Job said. If you go back to chapter 31, verse 35. Oh, that I had one to hear me. Here is my signature. Let the Almighty answer me. That's a selfie. God, you need to answer me. God, you, you need to justify yourself to me. Elihu speaks. He speaks truth for those six chapters. He speaks of God's majesty. He speaks of God's power. He speaks of God's right, of God's justice. And Job remains silent. And so, as chapter 38 begins, we read these words. Then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind. And gets the picture that this is not the gentle whisper to an Elijah. This is the whirlwind. God is coming. You want me to answer you, Job? All right, I'll answer you. And the way I'm going to answer you, Job, is I am going to lay before you a series of questions. Tell me, Job, can you answer them? Tell me, Job, are you wise enough to discern these things? Tell me, Job, are you powerful enough? Tell me, Job, how long have you been around upon earth? Tell me, Job, what have you done? Let's delve into a few of those questions. Pick it up with me at Job chapter 38. I'll begin at verse 4. Where were you? See, and we can say, where were you, Job? Where were you, Job, when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me, if you have understanding, who determined its measurements? Surely, Job, you know. Or who stretched the line upon it? On what were its bases sunk, or who laid its cornerstone? When the morning stars sang together, and all the sons of God shouted for joy. Or who shut the sea with doors when it burst out from the womb? When I made clouds its garment, the thick darkness its swaddling band, and prescribed limits for it, 
and set bars and doors and said, Thus far shall you come and no farther, and here shall your proud waves be stayed. Have you commanded the morning since your days began and caused the dawn to know its place? Were you there at creation, Job? You want to challenge me? Okay, Job, answer me. Were you there? Do you understand these things, Job? Is your mind able to comprehend all that I have done and accomplished in the creation of this world? Skip down to verse 31. Same chapter. Can you bind the chains of Pleiades or loose the cords of Orion? Can you lead forth the Maseroth in their season? Can you guide the bear with its children? Do you know the ordinances of the heavens? Can you establish their rule on the earth? Okay, Job, let's look up to the heavens. How about that? Do you understand how those heavens work? Do you understand the stars? Did you put them there, Job? Come on, Job, answer me. Who put them there? Who created them? Come on, Job. Are you the one who knows all these things, Job? Go to chapter 40. Chapter 39 is all about the, the animal kingdom. Do you understand how they work? Follows the same line. Verse, chapter 40, verse 1. And the Lord said to Job, Shall a fault finder contend with the Almighty? He who argues with God? Let him answer it. Then Job answered the Lord and said, Behold, I am of small account. <laughs> what shall I answer you? I lay my hand on my mouth. I have spoken once and I will not answer twice, but I will proceed no further. I think I overstepped. I challenged God's right and God's truth. I didn't know where I was going. But God's not about to back down. God's not done. Verse 6, Then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, Dress for action like a man, I will question you. and You make it known to me. Will you even put me in the wrong? Will you condemn me that you may be in the right? <laughs> How much like modern man. How much sometimes like our own deceptive hearts. We want so much to justify ourselves. We'll even put doubt and shame and wrongdoing on the part of God. We'll even charge him with sin. It isn't right what you've done to me, God. What a chapter. What a presentation. God goes on. Chapter after chapter after chapter. And you see, that's where we come in chapter 42. Then Job answered the Lord. 
and set. See, all these questions have been for a purpose. They also are not out of God's anger. They are out of his love. Because he desires for Job to be humbled. Look at what Job acknowledged back in chapter 40. Those verses. I should have shut my mouth. I'm of small account. What can I ever say to you, God? Look at him in chapter 42. I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Who is this that hides counsel without knowledge? Therefore I have uttered what I did not understand. How often, brother and sister in Christ, have not we been like a Job who have uttered things about God and about what God is doing in our lives that we simply do not understand? whether it's because of the distortion of sin in our hearts or whether we simply don't want to accept the fact that God has a right to cause us to suffer in order to draw us closer to himself. See, Job's acknowledgement here is humility. This is not the way Job has been talking to the three friends. This is not the way he has been acknowledging. He's been saying, I'm innocent. I didn't do anything, guys. Get off my case. I did not do anything. I am innocent. But I don't know why God is so haphazard. I don't know why God has left me. I don't know why he's left me desolate. Elihu answered the question. Job sat in silence. And so the Lord has come. And now Job is humble. But he's more than just humble. He is repentant. Verse 6. I've heard of you. But now I see it with my own eyes. In other words... I heard the truth, but I didn't really believe the truth. I heard what Elihu was saying, but my heart was unwilling to accept it. But now I know that it is true. Therefore, I despise myself and I repent in dust and ashes. I was wrong. You do have a purpose. You do have a plan. And I was wrong to say you didn't care. I was wrong to say you didn't love me. I was wrong to say you were treating me haphazardly. I was wrong to say this is all by chance. I was wrong to say you had abandoned me. I was wrong. 
I repent. There are two things found in this chapter. One is this lack of perspective that has to be brought to Job's attention to bring him to the point of repentance. The second is God's very loving word. Verse 7. After the Lord had spoken these words to Job, the Lord said to Eliphaz the Temanite, My anger burns against you and against your two friends, for you have not spoken of me what is right as my servant Job has. Now therefore take seven bulls and rams and go to my servant Job and offer up a burnt offering for yourselves. And my servant Job shall pray for you, for I will accept his prayer not to deal with you according to your folly. For you have not spoken of me what is right as my servant Job has. So Eliaphaz the Temanite and Bildad the Shuhite and Zophar the Namanite went and did as the Lord had told them. What an amazing word. Here's Job. He's just been humbled. He's just, he just had his leg knocked out from underneath him by the Lord. Here come these three guys up the trail. These three guys who have given him grief for chapter after chapter after chapter, accusing him of some heinous sin, accusing him of the fact that God was punishing him for a sin that he had committed. Guys, come up the trail, come up the sidewalk. Uh, Job, here's some offerings. Why are you bringing these offerings to me? The Lord said, you had to offer them for us. Well, why are you having to do that? We were wrong, Job. You have not sinned in a way that has brought this suffering upon you. Job, you, 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 you need to offer these for us. What beautiful words, what loving words are coming here. Now that he's been humbled, now that he has acknowledged before God his sin, his sin of not of thinking the Lord didn't care. Here comes these men. Job, we're wrong. Would you please offer these sacrifices for us? I see so much of Jesus coming to Peter after he had denied him those three times and Jesus coming to Peter, do you love me? Well, then feed my sheep. Do you love me? Well, then feed my sheep. Do you love me? Then take care of my lambs. Job loves you. Lord, you know I love you then offer these sacrifices 
for your friends who have sinned. For what they said was foolishness. On one hand, he's justified in the eyes of these three friends. On the other hand, he's been humbled by an all-wise God. God is so good. But that's not all. Listen to these blessings. Start at nine. So Eliaphaz the Temanite and Bildad the Shuhite and Zophar the Namanite went and did as the Lord had told them, and the Lord accepted Job's prayer. You mean, this didn't mean Job was out of fellowship with God? Not at all. Job had repented in dust and ashes. The Lord now hears his prayer for his friends. What a blessing. This man who who has been through so much This man who has been through so much physical and emotional and spiritual torment. Who has had to deal with God Almighty as the whirlwind. And when he prays, the Lord answers his prayer. That's the hope for you and I. That's that encouragement. Because we've been in Job's place. And perhaps we're wondering, can I, can I ever be back right with God? Can, can that fellowship ever be restored? I've, I've said some cruel things. I've, I've, I know things have come out of my mouth in the midst of the suffering that should not have been there. They were angry words. They, were, they perhaps were curse words at God. Perhaps some of you even here tonight are still mad at God. You're still angry with Him. Even though you're here sitting in church, in your heart, you're still angry. Let the whirlwind of God, let that spirit of power touch your heart. Repent. God was justified. God was right. God was loving in what he did. You see it the other way, but God does not. God sees what he has done as a loving act because that's what it is in drawing you closer to himself. But you've been revolting against that. You've been rebelling against that. But the Lord tonight, even tonight, is calling you. Repent. And if you do, and if you've been there, here's the glorious hope. God, the Lord, heard and accepted Job's prayer. There is a restored fellowship 
that is given. Verse 10. And the Lord restored the fortunes of Job when he had prayed for his friends. When that fellowship was restored, then the Lord restores his possessions. Look what happens. And the Lord gave Job twice as much as he had before. Then came to him all his brothers and sisters and all who had known him before and ate bread with him in his house. And they showed him sympathy and comforted him for all the evil that the Lord had brought upon him. And each of them gave him a piece of money and a ring of gold. And the Lord blessed the latter days of Job more than his beginning. He had 14,000 sheep, 6,000 camels, 1,000 yoke of oxen, 1,000 female donkeys. And he also had seven sons and three daughters. And he called the name of the first daughter, Jemiah. And he called the name of the second, Keziah. And he named the third, Karahapach. All of which are names that signify beauty. Job's rejoicing. Lord! You hear my prayers? You'll answer me when I call? Lord, you've restored my fortune. Lord, you've restored my children. It's a beautiful thing you're doing, Lord. But the Lord is not done. And in all the land there were no women so beautiful as Job's daughters, and their father gave them an inheritance among their brothers. And after this, Job lived a hundred and forty years, and saw his sons and his sons' sons for generations. Job's got a generational church right before his eyes. The blessing and beauty. Not just grandchildren, great-grandchildren, great-great-grandchildren. The blessing that God pours out on this man. And Job died, an old man, full of days. I know, Job said, that my Redeemer lives. And in my flesh, I shall see God. And someday, brothers and sisters, this man, whose story is given to us in the truth of Scripture, shall stand before us. And shall say, now you know it too. You know that your Redeemer lives. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. What an amazing thing this book of Job is. What a reminder of human life. What a reminder of our own soul. What a reminder of our own questionings of you. And yet, the book is full of your love. It's full of your compassion. It's full of your mercy. It's full of your grace. So, Father, if we're in that questioning crowd tonight, if we're Job, before chapter 42. Lord, speak to our hearts. Draw us to yourself in the whirlwind. 
Lord, if we've been there, we know exactly how Job felt. But we too have heard you in the whirlwind. You too have spoken to us through your spirit, through your word. And Father, we too have a responsibility and a duty to pray, to pray, to pray for those around us. But also to enjoy the blessings that you pour out in our lives. Father, so often we're so busy complaining. No, we're so busy taking the selfie that we fail to see the beauty of what you're doing around us. Open our eyes to see your love and mercy and grace poured out today, tomorrow, and as Job said, in my flesh I shall see God forever. And God's people say, Amen.